Are you here? Well, of course you're here. I'm here too. And Paul? Well, I guess he's here somewhere. He's hiding. We've got an interesting episode today, ladies and gentlemen. Paul's been a little shy about getting this out there, and you'll soon learn why. The interviewee is Michael McLeod, a Key West original. He performs regularly at the Schooner's Wharf Bar and has for years. He's very well known for a very unique voice, creative songs, and the stories he tells in between song performances. This was recorded on location in Key West, Florida, in between Michael McLeod live sets. And let's just say Paul had, well, he had been enjoying some cold beverages, which is what people do way down in the Keys. Now, maybe this was... uh, This was a few too many to have before an interview, (laughs) and after a few drinks, Paul Leslie and his longtime friend Deja, like in Deja Vu, sat down with Mr. McLeod. Now, Paul's glad he got a chance to do this with Deja. Hello, Deja. Yes. A little fact for you, this was the one and only time that Paul did a co-interview. Hasn't happened since. Michael McLeod is a grand singer-songwriter. He can do clever and pensive, funny. Some of his great songs include I'll Never Really Love You and One Good Christian Man. And oh yeah, yeah, Peace and Quiet. He does some great covers, too. McLeod does Hoagy Carmichael's classic Scotch and Soda or Steve Goodman's City of New Orleans or Over the Rainbow. Little known fact, Paul Leslie's first radio broadcast ever, he closed the episode with Michael McLeod's sublime version of Over the Rainbow. Check out michaelmcleod.com and you'll be very happy with yourself if you pick up a CD or two or three. Really quick, help us keep the Paul Leslie Hour going. Throw a little something in the tip jar by going to www.thepaulleslie.com slash support. And we thank you, honestly. So here it is, the Michael McLeod interview. Yes, yes, it embarrassed Paul that he was a little tipsy, but we can't deny what's on the tape. Hey, <laughs> let's play it. Paul says he won't let it happen again. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we are lucky enough to be chilling out here at the Schooner's Wharf Bar, Schooner Wharf Bar, in Key West, Florida, and we're talking to Michael McLeod, and I got a little help from my friend, Deja. Say hello to all the folks at home, Deja. Hi, guys. How you doing? We're talking to Michael McLeod, and he's going to tell us a little bit about his music. Howdy, Michael. Hey, how are y'all? We're doing groovy. Michael, how did you come to Key West in the first place? United States Navy sent me here back 37 years ago. I did a brief period of time in active duty, and when I got done with that, I came back here thoroughly intending to do nothing important for the rest of my life. So far, I'm succeeding. Succeeding? Kind of like... Ah, I see. Well, you did a song kind of uh, having to do with succeeding, the Conk Republic song, which is the official song of... Key West. Semi-official. 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 The night that we seceded from the Union, uh, five of the six city commissioners were celebrating our secession in the joint where I was playing, and 
decided right then and there to adopt that song as the national anthem for the Conquer Republic. But since it was not done in chambers, it's only semi-official. So uh, what is it about Key West that you think has made this your home? And it's the idea of living at the end of the road. Nobody passes through. Because nobody passes through, everybody who's here is here because they want to be. This was their destination of choice. Because they want to be, you have nobody here with that attitude of being stuck somewhere. Everybody's here for a reason, and the reason is usually always the same, because they came to have a good time, and uh, I do the best I can to try and help them have a good time. Michael, how long have you been playing here at Skinner? Uh, 11 years now. That's a one long gig. I remember once you telling me a story about you and Michael Goodman. Could you uh, repeat that to us? Steve Goodman. Goodman. I did some work with him at a place called the Earl of Old Town in Chicago back many years ago. I was the uh, opening act for almost everybody. And because of that, I got to know him real well. And uh, he's the guy who got me writing songs again because he convinced me that we don't write songs to make money. We write songs to get them out of our head. And uh, he's right. Because a song, a song will keep you awake just as surely as constipation will. <laughs> Did, did, weren't you with Steve uh, during his last days? Yeah, but uh, it's a period of time that is best left alone. I was not necessarily there as a musician. I was more there as a uh, buffer zone between him and the rest of the world. And uh, it worked out real well. So. Well, certainly couldn't have a better friend. Michael... What do you think about all the pair hits coming into town during this yearly insanity called Meeting of the Minds? It's nice. Uh, anything that brings them down here is okay with me. I especially like parrot hits because of who they are, they have gotten to a point in their lives where they've learned how to listen. And those of us who do this for a living... Uh, even though we may say that we're doing it for the money or we may say that we're doing it for the fringe benefits of the job or whatever it is, the truth of the matter were known, if you're up on stage and you're playing music for a living, the greatest compliment you can have is when somebody actually takes the time to listen. And uh, these people would never have become parrot heads were it not for the fact that at some point in their lives they learned to stop and listen to the words. And I like playing for those kind of people. They're, uh, it's, it's a nice group to play for. I mean, granted, they do a lot of networking along the way, and uh, for some reason that seems to be very important. Uh, and I suppose that's you know part of the routine. Never let it be said that the hurting influence in human beings is not still alive and well in our genetic makeup. I notice, speaking of listening to the words, I saw that you have a new album out, and I really uh, I thought it's been cool to spin your tunes on the air and let people all over the world find out what Michael McLeod is all about. So uh, plug us in a little bit about your new album. This one is a labor of love. It was never intended to be anything but uh, a uh, basically a memorial to my father. My dad is the guy who got me playing music back years ago, and whatever 
genetic predisposition I may have for musical talent is all directly because of him. And I determined back years ago that it would be nice to do some of the songs that he taught me for him before he died, but I didn't get a chance to do it because of because it costs a damn much money to make a CD. And then a couple of years after he died, one of my regular customers was listening to me play some of those kind of songs at another joint where I play. And he said he'd like to have a CD of those songs. And I told him I don't have the money to do it. And at which point he decided to produce the whole thing. And he left a check in my tip jar and a little note saying, please record the songs. And so I did. Michael, um, there's a term thrown out a lot these days, singer-songwriter, um, and they're all influenced by different people. Besides the people that your father turned you on to, um, what musicians are particularly influential in your life? Probably the greatest influence, oddly enough, is uh, Hank Williams Sr. Yeah, because when I was... Six years old, my father took me to the Mount Hope Tabernacle Baptist Church in Mount Hope, West Virginia, to go listen to a guy named Hank Williams Sr. We were was in the basement of the church. There were about, I guess, probably close to 200 people in there. And he played for about an hour and 15 minutes, all the time sucking on a bottle of whiskey in the church. And then he ducked out the back door to throw up, and then he came back in and played for another hour and a half. And I got to thinking, this guy is getting paid to sing his songs in the basement of a Baptist church in southern West Virginia. And they're giving him money for this, and he's drinking the whole time he's doing it. And I got to thinking, this might be the perfect job to eliminate the possibilities and probabilities of dying from too much stress. And that's the truth. Hank Williams Sr. had a, a he, he was a really important part of it all, you know. But then, you know, because of my dad, I learned the the phrasing techniques of Frank Sinatra. I learned the vocal gymnastics of Amel Torme. I learned the microphone techniques of Tony Bennett. Uh, I learned uh, my dad was the one who convinced me to play the guitar because he played the piano, and I wanted to play the piano. And he said, no, you don't want to play the piano. You want to play the guitar. And I said, why shouldn't I play the piano? And he said, because it's too damn much trouble to carry it around. And he was right. So you learned all those from your dad. Where did you learn the uh, snappy rapport on, on stage, your uh, your stage presence? That just kind of make itself, is that part of Key West itself? No, no, not at all. That is also from my father. He was uh, he was an actor. He was a lot of things. But he instilled in me a, a, a sincere love and respect for the language, the words, and the use of the words. And how to paint a picture with the words. And the, the stuff that happens to the poor on stage is simply an extension of that. It's, uh, it's listening to the likes of uh, James Burke delivering one of his documentaries on the television and, and listening to the 
just the pure poetry of the language, the way it's supposed to be spoken, and realizing that a single sentence delivered correctly achieves the absolutely perfect response. The problem that we have, I think, in our society today is that none of our teachers, or well, a few of our teachers, have a respect and a love for the language enough to realize that you can say the same sentence six different ways, the first five of which are going to be readily ignored by most people. But that one way that you say it, and the inflection that you use, and the, the time you take to get your point across, is indelible. And, it's, and, it, and it makes a point. Speaking of phrases, one phrase that always sticks out in my mind is when you get a certain sense of efficacy and you just say, all this, and leave it behind. Because I know there's a sense of honesty in that, because I think everyone on this earth says that at least one time in their life. So what does that mean to you? Well, now that's only a, it's a, that's a brief thing. That's the, uh, that's the reaction when you've got, uh, well, the people that are in that song, where that line comes from. That song was written in the middle of March, 23 years ago. And... Uh, the town was full of spring breakers, including many scantily clad young ladies. Because of their age, they were absolutely certain that what they had to say was more important than what anybody else had to say. And then you add to that the overflow from Bike Week in Daytona. So now you've got a town full of middle-aged fat guys dressed in black making too much noise. Then you add to that a convention in town called Women in Paradise, which is basically just 4,000 lesbians in the same place at the same time. And then you add to that the normal mixture of locals that we get in here on a regular basis. And what you have is the prime mixture for a guy being completely ignored all day long by an entire room full of people, at which point the reaction might end up being something like, but I'm going home. But it only lasts for a moment because then the next day I'm sitting in here and uh, Mr. and Mrs. Middle America are sitting at the front table and they look up at me and they say, I don't suppose you've ever heard an old Hoagie Carmichael song called Scotch and Soda, have you? And I go, oh, man, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> I'm asking for Scotch and Soda during the next set, Michael. Wait, so. uh, I love Hoagie Carmichael, actually. Um, 23, 24 years here. Are you tired yet? Are you still ready to go? It's more than that. It's more than that. I mean, I, the first five years I was here, I didn't do anything except stay drunk and enjoy the smorgasbord of life. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. I, I've got to, I think I've been here over 30 years now. But it's, it's because of this place. It's because this town is full of square pegs that don't fit into round holes. This town is full of a bunch of people who realize that there's got to be an alternative to what's going on back there in what we call the real world. And yeah, there is. And, and, but the problem with it is, is becoming, it's getting to the point now where there's so many of them here that it's almost too expensive to live here. Uh, I was lucky I got in on the ground floor, but uh, 
if there's any aspiring guitar players out there who think they'd like to spend the rest of their life in Key West, Florida, my only suggestion is bring lots of money <laughs> because that's the only way you can do it now. Uh, Michael, actually, I have a very strange question. Mm -hmm. uh, do you own a car and a cell phone? Mm -hmm. Do you own a car and a cell phone? I have both, uh, neither one of which are working. Uh, and uh, I'm not in any hurry to get either one of them started up. You know, I've been, my wife told me I needed a car to carry my stuff around, and uh, I needed a cell phone in case I ever had an accident. Uh, so I parked the car and I turned the cell phone off and I just, I, I don't need them, you know. To kind of go along with that question, your, all your years here in Key West, how has that made a change in who Michael McLeod is today? Uh, it only allowed me to be who I thought I was in the first place. Because I knew who I was. And I knew that I was... Uh, I was either lazy or efficient. I wasn't sure which one of those two it is. In fact, efficiency might be the science of laziness, if you think about it for a moment. But I knew I was either lazy or efficient, and I knew I didn't want to have to work for somebody else because every job I've ever had working for somebody else, it became blatantly obvious early on that I was being told what to do by somebody who wasn't as smart as I was. That'll piss you off. Uh, and I realized that I wasn't cut out for the real world. I'm also not cut out for temperatures below 70 degrees. I mean, you know, it's almost 80 degrees out here, and I'm wearing long shirts and long, long pants because I don't do cold well. You know, so I knew where I belonged. I just, it took me a while to get here. One question I love to ask people is that this show goes out all over the world. So here's your chance. What do you want to say to the world? Um, probably the secret to a long and happy life. Find something you love. Because you love it, you will do it a lot. Because you do it a lot, you will do it well. If you do it well, somebody in this world will pay you money to do the thing you love to do, most of all, in the world. That's it. Michael, thank you so much for taking a break and talking to me. It's been a pleasure spinning your music on the air, and thanks for all your help. No problem. And Michael, I want the Hoagie Carmichael song coming up. Yeah. All right, thanks, pal. No problem. Kitchen. Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaulleslie.com. That's thepaulleslie.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, The Entertainer, written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano, the traditional song, Corina, Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. 
and we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.